Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth. So you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You may start noticing there are strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is this water called liquid death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of the profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those aluminum cans it comes in are recyclable and actually profitable for recycling facilities so they won't just end up in your local landfill like plastic bottles. Go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundies, or Hy-Vee, or find Liquid Death re- retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com front slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com front slash film study. 
everybody. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, we're here for another episode of Film Study, and we're talking about uh, the offense in part two of uh, today's uh, discussion. And uh, hopefully you listened to part one. If you didn't, go back and, and download that. Make sure you have a chance to catch up because Jordan Coe, um, I guess today, absolutely outstanding stuff in that first segment. Talked a lot about scheme. Looked a little ahead to the Miami game. Talked about Lamar's game. The stuff you really don't want to miss in addition to some of the other stuff we uh, uh, we hit on every time. But uh, a lot of great stuff. I want you guys to please try and get that before you come back. Uh, Jordan, how you doing? Good, kid. Glad to be here. All right. Uh, at Raven Sit Room on Twitter. That's right. And the Raven Situation Room with at Gabe Fergie is regular show. And, and uh, again, proud to have you uh, for that show. It's uh, it's always terrific. Uh, and uh, let's see. We want to talk about the offensive line. How about that? Yeah. And, you know, this was a pretty solid performance from the offensive line overall for a group of guys that, you know, we didn't really know what it was going to look like. I was I was pretty happy with the results, it was it was certainly not the catastrophic performance that we had in Week One against the Las Vegas Raiders last year. I am more reserved in my opinion of that. Uh, I, I'll say that first of all, they did not run the football effectively, and a lot of that was on the offensive line. Um, I think the other things uh, is that the Jets really made it easy for them to pass block, and they did get it done. Uh, they still had some pass blocking issues at various spots along the line, but great game in the sense that they didn't have a single penalty. Always good when you don't have a, any offensive line penalties. They allowed just one sack by the offensive line. Uh, that that was uh, you know one that went to Moses. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, so I, I generally I, I I liked what happened. They didn't allow any other quarterback hits on Lamar. That's really nice. Uh, a lot of the pressures were were kind of shared deals. They did miss some blocks. It was a short game, so you know the the mistakes are magnified in terms of how they affect scoring. Uh, that's always something that if you play an 85 snap game, you got a good chance to to get away with a few pressures. Uh, particularly if you're if you're playing offensive tackle, if you play a uh, you know a 51 snap game like this was in terms of uh, excluding two kneels, uh, you, you got to be a lot better to uh, to get it done. All right, you want to talk about some individual performances? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, the big bummer, of course, is Juwan James lost for the season. Uh, you know how. I, I know that very frustrated with this. You got to be obviously not blame the player in any way. And in, in a lot of ways, um, I don't blame the Jets. I kind of blame the Jets a little bit for the Fuller injury. I know about how, how you are about that. Right. That's that's a field related issue, right? Um, yeah. You know, and it's just the NFL's got they've got to clean this up, right? Like there's just. There is no reason why there should not be a uniform standard and requirement for teams to uphold their fields and keep them at that level. And if they don't, they should be fined, right? You know, it, it's just it, it, it's it's that simple. It's really not something that's that 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 is that hard to do. Now, I don't know if you're too young to remember this or not, but in 2001, the year after they won the Super Bowl, and it's in Hard Knocks, the Ravens went to Philadelphia to play a preseason game, and they walked out rather than play on a field that had a. Uh, some sort of a trench that had been um, it had the turf over it, but it, it you know you could step in and it was soft and so it was a it was a problem and you know they got booed out of Philadelphia for it but who cares it's a preseason you always game get booed out of Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah there you go especially if you win yeah uh, I can tell you this by the way it's fun to go to a hostile crowd it's even more fun to go to Philadelphia and have them be hostile I I went to three straight World Series wins there in 1983. Complete pleasure. 
it was just a, <laughs> just the kind of uh, great time you have on the road. Uh, Cleveland, Oakland, the two places I wouldn't recommend going on the road in terms of, of having uh, uh, fans that can really get nasty with you. Yeah, you know, and it's even like the Heinz Fit or whatever, Amerisher Insurance, whatever, whatever, <laughs> field name too. But um, you know, even their field, at the, like in December when they're playing all the, like they let all the high school football teams play mm-hmm. their like playoff games there. It, it, it's just we're we're talking about a multi-billion-dollar industry where the health of your players is the thing that a lot of people tune in for, right? Mm-hmm. And somehow you have these iterations where like with soldier field where they can't drain the field where they have like like and you uh, you opt into playing in weather and yet we still have situations where players and individuals are critical of the field you heard it in arizona with kansas city you had them griping about thinking that a couple of their injuries were related to the conditions of the field and it's just like put a million dollars aside for everybody hire a top level ground screw if i can you know it's not like keeping plants alive in your living room but like if you keep plants alive in your house you should be able to keep a field that when your job is only to keep the field in that condition to be able to do so. Yeah. They, they, Arizona is a place where they roll that field out. So it gets sun, they can grow grass and still play on it indoors. I mean, it's, it, it you can't get any more technologically advanced and yet you still can have problems with the, with, with the way it goes. I, I don't know how to completely eliminate that. And obviously I'm not sure I could say that, you know, both of these weren't bad luck in terms of the field. One of them was, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing you get suspended for, but it's it the, the penalty is somehow just not enough on the uh, on the fuller injury to you know to cover what happened, and and obviously that's true whenever you see somebody roll over a quarterback and get him hurt and whatnot that uh, that you kind of feel that way. But Juwan James was not playing terribly when he left the game. He played for twenty three plays, made twenty blocks, missed one, half a penetration, one pressure. Uh, worked out to be an, an even C on that game. He had two pancakes while he was in there. Uh, he pulled three times. Twice he got he got credited with a pull by being the back end of a counter, which I don't, in my system, you don't have to actually connect with anybody because there often isn't anyone to do that. Uh, the front end guy always has to connect in order to score. But, uh, uh, you know, Juwan James, maybe surprisingly to some, I think looked okay uh, in this game, we, you know, not the guy you want out there ideally, but but still uh, okay for uh, for the, the the current situation without Ronnie Stanley. Well, and and I think that the Ravens and we've already seen them change their approach in terms of what they do with practice, how they're practicing, how long, when, all of those things. Who was playing in the preseason? So it seems like they're cognizant of injuries. A guy like Mar- Marcus Williams, no injury history in his career, also younger. I mean. And again, this is not to blame Juwan James, but when you've got a guy that was already out for the season, you know, because of an injury that yeah. he sustained in that instance is getting on the older side of what those things are. I think you've got to make decisions about whether or not you want to trust. Like, it's not that you, it's not that you're faulting him, but it's like if we're going to have to make those choices and then you get burned or not burned, but this bad luck happens. Right. And you get to the point in the season where. Offensive tackles are nowhere to be found, right? The only way that you're adding an offensive tackle that is of starter caliber at this point is a trade. Um, that's the only way that you're going to do that once the season begins. You've got to ask yourself the questions of, do I want to go into the season trusting some of these guys because those are the guys that are going to get hurt? And Fuller, right? Like, and even Jimmy Smith is was similar in this regard in terms of age are guys that are just like, you're asking a guy that's in his mid-30s to go out on an NFL field and play and 
you're just going to see more injuries when you're asking them to do that. And so what does the approach look like? And, and do we see any kind of counters to what that approach looks like for the Ravens in the same way that they changed how they use their practice field or training camp and preseason to implement players? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, wrong side of 30 obviously is one of the one of the big risks, but they, they do need to look at their key positions, certainly, and decide, does this represent a certain risk? And I, I, there was a lot of, of screaming for them to take a left tackle in this draft, and they could have done it with their uh, second pick instead of Linderbaum. They could have done it with their first pick instead of Hamilton. And unfortunately, the guy they probably would have gotten is somebody like Trevor Penning. I think a lot of people had questions about him, you know, whether or not at any, some people at any round, because he had that incredible uh, (laughs) combination of a temper and a ton of penalties in college. And then we found out more that he got, I think he got kicked out of three consecutive days of practice uh, for fighting with his own teammates. Yeah. And he was feisty. He was feisty even with the Saints, you know, so yeah. So they, they, they had guys they could have drafted, but they chose to, to wait on a value selection and they got Falalele, who I think was a really good value. He's a good developmental tackle. You don't usually get a talent like that um, in, in round four. So 110th overall pick, but he is a developmental guy. So they have to, they have to you know, allow this to happen. And my big problem with the whole thing, and, and I, I was hopeful that Falalele could play on the left side. After seeing the preseason, I don't think that's a real hope. I think he's a, he's a right tackle. He'll push guys around over there. He could, be, he could be quite valuable. He could be Orlando Brown over there potentially. But I, I don't really see him as the kind of guy who can obviously move to left tackle and, and deal with that. One problem is independent hand usage. He's got to get a lot better against hand fighters to be on that side. But I can tell you this, Daniel Falalele is going to see playing time and we talked earlier in the in part one about having guys that come in late in games. The Ravens would be doing themselves an enormous disservice if they not did not find a way to get Daniel Faalele on the field during the second half of some of some one sided games at, at a minimum this year. But they need a live fire for that guy right away to try and have failure that they can lean into with additional coaching. And that's it's really important. Gunnar Henderson is in the major league side for the for the Orioles. The thing I kept saying about about bringing him up is it allows them to him to fail forward into 2023. This is what they need to use. They, they need to use every developmental opportunity they have for Faalele because of the situation they're now in at left tackle. It will be, you know, obviously Stanley is a huge question mark and what happens with that. If he, he can come back and stabilize the whole thing. And yep. if everybody just stays in line, <laughs> and, and and this is our big injury for the year. Then uh, then we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. and, I know you don't some, believe it. I know you don't believe in the odds working that way, though, Ken. <laughs> well, I, I would just say um, he's the only domino, you know, in a sense. So it's it's not, it's not a string of like everything else is going to go wrong. But you know, if Stanley can play left tackle, then the the thing that happens because of that is that maybe he's the biggest domino. That's the way to say it. That McCary all of a sudden becomes an available sixth man again. Right now, I'm worried because. The next injury is going to eviscerate the Ravens, particularly if it happens, you know, at center, we'd be replacing Linderbaum with Cologne. So that could happen. Uh, I I think they're going to be happy with Cleveland playing at either guard spot, but I think they might not be happy with the way Powers looked in that first game. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, this is they've they've got multiple problems to fix. 
They've got one guy, actually, they've probably got two guys in Cleveland and McCary that can probably help them do that. Uh, but they, 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 despite the depth that's, that, that was apparent on this offensive line, the fact they kept 11 guys, you know, hoping to trade one because they thought they were of NFL caliber. I see, I see depth problems on the offensive line now, too, and it's not just left tackle. Well, and, and two of your ten guys, you know, two of your ten guys are already hurt, right? With James and mm-hmm. Stanley, and so anytime that happens, you're going to gut your depth. So, you know, hopefully, knock on wood, Stanley comes back and equalizes and levels in. And, and you know, Gabe and I were talking about this. He looks it. He so when J.K. Dobbins started practicing, he didn't look like he was ready to start practicing yet. J.K. Dobbins is a younger guy. He's anxious. He wants to get out there. He's got a lot to prove. He's a much closer to the next contract. So it's different in that regard to Stanley. But Stanley did not look like there was a progression that needed to be made from an injury or a confidence perspective, at least in the drills that we saw from him early. Whereas J.K. Dobbins, I feel like, wasn't the same thing. So that gives me some sense of hope. One, that Stanley can come back sooner. And I think it's obvious that the Ravens thought he would be back before week four or sooner, or they would have put him you know, on the IR. So we would have seen that happen. And I think that I think that, you know, if he's trusting and confident in what he's got in that leg, then we're gonna see something that is at least an improvement over kind of the upside of whatever you're gonna be able to get from a guy like McCarthy. Or, or yeah, I I would agree with that, or or anybody else that's on the street. And and oh, McCarry, sure. to, to be to be honest, is the Ravens are very lucky to have him given what he did for them at right tackle, even though it was just C C minus play for the year last year. Um, and and what he what he did in this first game against the Jets, I mean, he did enough to get them through to the end of this game, which was which was really important. Right? But nothing is going to give the Ravens what they need any better than Ronnie Stanley being eighty five percent of what Ronnie Stanley used to be. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's keep going. Uh, so, uh, Juwan James is C. McCary, I want to talk about him right away because uh, he had 1.5 pressures, three times a half a pressure, so three shared pressures. Uh, faced primarily Carl Lawson in this game. He did face other other players. Number 72 was in there. I'm forgetting his name right now, but Carl Lawson was. Uh, he did allow a near holding call on a screen pass that I didn't like. He, he First of all, he let the guy beat him too quickly. It was 72 on that play, uh, and then he held him. Uh, he had three missed blocks uh, as well, which were, uh, I don't have in front of me the number that were at the line of scrimmage, but I think it was one out of three only was at the line of scrimmage, which is nice. You want to you want to be missing in level two or you want to be missing if you're pulling or things like that, as opposed to, um, you know, losing at the line of scrimmage and getting pushed back. It just happens the ball was out quickly that time. Uh, but I thought, you know, I, I'm not going to discount the fact that he was getting pretty well beat three times. Um, but I do the, the fact that there were other pressures on the play obviously took away some of that. And and the fact that the, all the plays worked out is going to be something a lot of people are going to point to. And I, I think I feel more like the Ravens were very fortunate that that did not bite them worse this week in terms of, you know, all uh, the, the 17-yard touchdown to DuVernay, the 25-yard touchdown to DuVernay, and the other 17-yard pass that McCary had a, had a shared pressure on. It could have worked out worse. Yeah, I, you know, he's he is going to, I think, you know, like you said, he's a great six guy to have. He's going to give you average production. He gives you confidence that you're going to have that kind of depth. And so, you know, even if we go into the next two games and Stanley doesn't come back to the Buffalo game, you know, I, it does not strike the fear of God into me that Makari is going to be the guy out there at left tackle for a moment. I, I, I hope you're right about that. And, and you know, we he did face a... 
um, a situation here where he didn't have a lot of switches necessary, and that can happen if you're if you know a back and he have to or, or whatever has to be done on the edge. And one of the times they had a switch, he, it was actually one of the times uh, he had a missed block, I believe. So it was a switch with powers. Uh, he held on to his guy a little bit. Maybe it wasn't he didn't process quickly enough or whatever, but he didn't take pick up Powers guy in time, uh, and that led to a a, a miss block there. But I, I'm I, you know I I'm thrilled with what McCarry was able to give them on a one game basis. I'm I, I I wish I could say it was optimistic moving forward. I don't think we have the um, the evidence tipping the scale in either direction so far, other than it was really nice to get 28 snaps out of him in this game. Yeah, well, well, we'll see. And, I, you know, I'm trying to remember. I don't think that I'm not I'm not distinguishedly remembering like edge edge rushers for Miami being kind of a huge threat. So it may be it may be that we can get by with Makari without it having to be really worried about like a TJ Watt or well, I guess Watt mostly rushes on the right side, but Highsmith or mm-hmm. some kind of premium edge rusher. Um, kind of really coming to town and, and similarly that we saw with you know the Raiders last year where you know in that game you know once Ngakwe uh, yeah. got after it they were just they were just in trouble right yeah we we we'll, uh, we'll hopefully see I mean Lawson was uh, you know reasonably effective with him but McCary had his moments certainly in terms of, of being able to take care of him let's let's move on talk about powers he he really probably had the toughest game of any Ravens lineman uh Six miss blocks, three other full pressures allowed. So they were all him. It wasn't anybody else. Uh, got a D on the game, uh, barely out of the C category. But uh, here was the big thing on Powers. And this is something I don't think Roman is going to live with for too long. He had eight times he pulled, zero points net out of eight pulls. Now, how does that happen? First of all, well, he got two times he allowed a pressure when pulling. Okay, so they're pa- they pulled on a pass play. He allowed a pressure. That cost him four points in addition to being two misses on those plays. And then he only made four of the other six pulls uh, that that uh, he was able to connect on. So a, a really bad game as a puller for Powers. Uh, needs to be better. And, and that's something that the Ravens, technique-wise, have never had really problems with. He ran into a lineman on, a, on one of his pulls. Um, and and I, I think that might not have been entirely his fault but even so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something the Ravens have got to get cleaned up. Uh, Powers, hopefully a guy who uh, can get his pulling game in order because it's absolutely necessary from that left guard position for the Ravens. They do a ton of it. Yeah, it, I mean, it is. And, and Powers is probably the one guy that's got to worry about playing poorly and having his spot taken mm-hmm. um, the quickest. So there are certainly a lot of fans that are clamoring to see Ben Cleveland get those snaps and get out there on the field. And so uh, Powers is going to have to clean it up. And if Miami does bring this pressure type situation where they decide they want to go cover zero, they want to throw a lot of different looks. They want to really intellectually challenge and communicatively challenge the Ravens offensive line. Powers is going to have another like kind of an alternate test in front of him from what he saw in this Jets game. And, that's really going to put him on the line because if, if you see kind of consecutive poor performances, I think it's one of those instances. I think the Ravens have this Buffalo game starred and circled on their calendar. They know that it is their shot. You know, it really is their shot at the one seed um, in the AFC. They're going to have to have that head to head win against Buffalo, especially because they picked up against that win against the Rams. They're going to need to put the loss on their schedule. Uh, and so I think the Ravens, if they decide they want to go in a different direction by the time they get to game four, because Powers has played two really poor games in a row, 
or three. Yeah. Or or well, and so by by those two, you're out because we want to we want to get Cleveland in. We want to get that stuff on film. We want to let him learn a little bit in kind of those active situations. So sorry, Powers, you're out now. Um, or Stanley comes back for you know week three. And we don't want to put him next to you for the same reasons. The, the leash could be short on Powers if we see another poor game. Yeah, I could completely agree. I, I think stylistically there's a good reason to get Cleveland in there at left guard is that he gives you a much more physical presence. And and you're dealing with McCary, who's more of a finesse player. He's going to try and be positional about it, what he does. And, and he's trying to make up for physical deficiencies as a pass blocker and, and even as a run blocker to to, to a degree to, to get to get by at left tackle. On the inside, you know, th- these deficiencies are, are less important. Uh, but but he's, I think it would really help to have power, to have uh, Cleveland there. Cleveland also, and, and I've talked about this at length on, on previous shows, great inside-out processor. So he can give a lot of help blocks to the left tackle, as it turns out, once he processes from, from, from center out to left guard, or left tackle, rather. Uh, something I think would would help McCary terrifically if he's if he's you know getting beat by a bull rush uh, it, it, to have him. Um, Powers was in particular late on one such help block during this game. Didn't have an opponent. Slow to process. Uh, was late to 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 help out McCary and and he got a missed block on that play. So uh, that was that was kind of unfortunate. The other guy who I think would benefit stylistically from from Cleveland, a massive man being in at left left guard, is naturally Linderbaum because. Those guys are the yin and yang of double teams on that side. And so they're going to be able they, they either uh, Cleveland is the back end of that or Cleveland is the jolt that makes it possible for Linderbaum to easily hold the back end against a bigger man, uh, you know, when they double team uh, from there. So I, I, either way, I think you would really like a large physical punishing presence next to each of those players. And I think I think it makes sense for Cleveland to be the guy. I, I didn't think I'd be down on Powers by this much after a game that was not good, but not so terrible that you fall off the scale. And you score offensive line play enough and you realize there's a lot of variation week to week. So a lot of guys are capable of an F game where they're not F players. And and they'll come back and they'll have decent games. I mean, Marshall Yanda is about the only guy who can consistently give you A's and B's every week. And, uh, you know... There's only ring for room for so many Ring of Honor <laughs> tickets out there, so we're uh, uh, you know we're we're lucky to have him. But uh, anyway, what do you think about Cleveland anyway? Are you, how how close are you on Cleveland? You know, I was I was the Phillips guy, so mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so um, I, I mean for similar reasons that you were talking about that you want the bigger physical guy, you want the more athletic guy. I thought Phillips was better as a puller, gave you more than what you were getting from Powers in those instances. If Cleveland is going to give you those same kind of things, and we're going to see performances like this from Powers, and I, I agree about the pooling in particular. I think that that is an area that the Ravens are going to have to – that that's a part of Roman's scheme, and it's a part of what they're going to want to do. And it will be – when Dobbins comes back, I think we're going to see a lot more of those double pools all across the board kind of getting filtered in in terms of what they're doing. So I, I think the leash is going to be short, and I think if Cleveland is the guy that can fill those in, then he's going to be there. All right. Uh, great. Let's move on to Linderbaum then. Talk a little bit about him. I, his debut, he was a player a lot of people wanted to see. Uh, at a high level, I thought very mobile. Uh, we saw some really exceptional mobility traits uh, on display in this game. Now, you know, it's a hits per at bat 
position. All the offensive line is. You get 1,000, 1,100 at-bats in a season. It's very important that consistency of production and overall level of production is met and not just, oh, I saw him make this play. That's like what people used to talk about fielding in baseball in the old days before they had really good metrics for, for looking at that. So we've really got to look at the at aggregate production. Did get pushed around a lot in the pass blocking game. Yeah, well, and he seemed to really early were where his struggles seemed to be. And it seemed that he got things tightened up after that. And he really seemed to be able to kind of figure out what his bearing needed to look like, what what that bull rush was going to be like when it was coming at him, what kind of like how he needed to set to handle it. And once he once he did that, it seemed to improve a lot. I didn't and I, I you know, I probably wasn't watching as closely as I could to see whether or not that was scheme related. But it seemed like once he settled in in that regard, it was a big improvement for the whole offense. Yeah, I thought he he did he played well in the second half. Uh, that's for certain. His his uh, pass his biggest pass blocking mistakes definitely came in the first half. He had an issue. I want to face. I want to find the play, and I'm having difficulty doing it on my score sheet right now. Where he got looked at by Zeitler for failing to make a pickup, and yeah, I think this is the play here in quarter three, second drive, next to last play where they ran for a one yard run left on second and eleven. Um, it looked like there that he didn't maintain a handoff in the way that was expected. And it didn't even look like his block was that bad, except Zeitler was pissed at him after the play. So I know something had to be wrong. And he kind of got a little bit off balance and, and kind of let the block go. And Zeitler just, you know, he was right on him after the play in terms of uh, of being angry about it. But uh, but yeah, I agree. I think he, he played better in the second half. If I go back to this, you know, he had three highlight blocks, which led the Ravens. That was that was nice. Um, got way out in front of a screen pass. So we saw a nice mobility on that. Uh, he had five blocks in level two. That led the team. So that's exactly what we got this guy for. Resolve double teams at the line of scrimmage quickly. Get to level two. Make your block there. Uh, I, I think we saw a lot of the nice mobility stuff we did. I thought we saw some nice uh, continuation of block stuff when he could in on a level two player. So... Uh, uh, real happy about about a lot of these things, and I think matched up with the right teammates next to him. I think Zeitler is a is a very good player to have next to him, and I think you know he could probably do it with Powers, but but he could probably do it even better with Cleveland um, uh, to have a, a a a large man next to him that they can each provide what they do well uh, to those combination blocks would be something really special. Well, and you know it's and we've seen this in kind of early in the season, I feel like in both 20 and 21, where if you're not tight on the offensive line in the way that Greg Roman likes to call these running schemes, different guys are going to miss different plays. And all of a sudden, everything's going to seem super disjointed. And it'll be, mm-hmm. you know, Powers on one play, Linderbaum on the next play, you know, Macari or Juwan James on the next play. And so you have these three plays in a row, and it's just like, what is going on on the offensive line? But it's one guy missing their assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of blowing everything up. So to me, the thing to watch is more about the continuity. Do these things get cleaned up? I know you love to watch the body language of player-to-player interactions mm-hmm. after plays and use that as a metric. Seeing those kind of things reduced, that's the that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for because we did see that athletic ability from Linderbaum. We saw everything that he was described to be in that regard. I, I mean, Linderbaum was basically his, his scouting reporter in this game. Right, where and, and and in terms of his deficiencies, you know, you, you we, right. we saw some of this. I the one thing I will say is, 
arm length was not generally speaking what killed him here. The one time he got he got bull rushed by Quentin Williams, which ended up being the PD to end the drive. You remember that one? Yep. That was really more of a, I think, uh, uh, Quentin Williams threw his shoulder into him. And that was something we saw in, on, you know, watching some college tape on him on just a, a, a brief show I did with uh, uh, another show anyway. And, and you know, he, he, it wasn't necessarily there that length beat him. Team like the Dolphins, uh, you know, they may be looking at targeting him in terms of, of trying to get a three tech across the face of a guard, get that length really used against him. You could even do it with a linebacker in some cases where, um, you know, his hand fighting can be good, but this is the NFL and he's going to have a, a harder time uh, with some guys who really know how to play one arm longer than two. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that piece develops. It was obvious that they were coming at him, you know, in particular with Quinn Williams and they were they were trying to isolate him in that sense and trying trying to utilize it that way. So I think it'll be it'll be worth keeping an eye on to see what that approach is and then what the counter is, right? Because mm-hmm. the Ravens are not so naive to to think that that's not going to be the approach the other team's going to take. And so what are what is the counter punch going to be if that's what it needs to be like? Or does Linderbaum and I think part of it was arm length and part of it was also just general overall size. If he's going to be the yes. smaller guy. What's the what is the response to that and and how are they handling? It's certainly going to be something worth keeping an eye on in the next two games. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so a C for Linderbaum. I think you know, given the circumstances, first NFL game, we pretty much saw what we expected to saw. I think you know, it's going to take multiple Pro Bowls for the Linderbaum pick to be worth it, or at least multiple discussion of why isn't he in the Pro Bowl? Damn it, because he's so good. Uh, we better be at that point to really to really be excited about Linderbaum being drafted over twenty five at, at, at over a corner we could have had there say and uh, and you know there were choices there but uh, I I think I'm still happy starting with no worse than what we expected to get from the scouting report. Yeah, I I, I was higher on the Linderbaum pick than you were to begin with. And so Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that over the year it stabilizes and we get that progression that we'd like to see from him. Um, The the second level and highlight blocks, the ability to get to the outside, the the guy to – he, my position on this has been the same throughout the entire offseason. He is going to spring a couple runs by Lamar or others that are going to turn into massive plays. um, And and that will be the moment, I think, that, that people will really fall in love with him. Yeah. Lindenbaum made three out of four polls, by the way, in this game. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. So uh, let's get in that there, that in there for him. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, by far the most effective Ravens lineman. Give him half a pressure, half a penetration. Uh, he still looks like the pro there. It looks like he's calling all the shots on the line in terms of, of uh, getting the line set up. Three level two blocks, two pancakes, two highlights, two of three on polls. There wasn't really an area of weakness in his game at all. A minus for the game. Um, He's he's become since he had a, a little bit of a run, a bad run last season briefly, but basically he's been the Ravens' most consistent lineman for the last uh, eighteen games now. And uh, the Ravens are very lucky to have him. I think the, the the real question is going to be whether or not his contract is really expected to be a third year, or whether he's going to play the retirement game and need to be extended before that year comes. Yeah, and and, and right now it does not. I, I mean it. It doesn't feel like the Ravens have two guards, at least right now, that they'd be willing to not have Zeitler on the team next year. And that's looking way, 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 way ahead. Um, but all that being said, you know, 
know, I, I think you find a way to make sure that he's still on this team um, if you can, because we're getting you're getting top level performance from him. You know, at guard, it's been a huge anchor to this offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm uh, I, I'm already I'm trying to think ahead of how they fix it, not how they. Uh, decide that they have another guy because you can always get a draft pick and maybe go that way route. But of course, draft capital is going to always be a, a, a scarce resource that you need to apply very wisely. So it is what it is. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, Moses, I want to call him Edwin Moses. <laughs> That's the hurdler, right? Yeah. Don't think <laughs> Morgan Moses <laughs> is quite that. Uh, gave up a full sack to Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson beat him to the outside pretty easily. Uh, flushed Lamar up in the pocket. It's If you're Joe Flacco, you throw the ball away. If you're Lamar Jackson, you try and make things something happen. It ends up being a two-yard sack. No big deal. Uh, he only had one other shared pressure in the game. A sack is going to prevent him from having a particularly good game, though, in a short game uh, because it's a minus six score for that play. Um, he did miss six blocks, uh, so that, that didn't help either. Uh, one thing that did help him, Ricard was on his side for most of the game in pass blocking situations. Ricard played, I think, 36 snaps, uh, and and he was kept in a number of times anyway on the right side as a uh, pass blocker, and that had to really help Moses in that game. Uh, so it, it's something that uh, I, I think that you got to look at his performance with a little bit of a jaundiced eye, even though it was good and, and not great. Uh, in terms of what he did, he's he's been better in the past. But um, uh, this game, uh, he had a C all the way around. I've named all the deficiencies from the from the thing. I think made two of two pulls, one block in level two. Uh, didn't really find a way to contribute on the backside of run plays, which is a common thing by tackles. By the way, that's where they end up with a lot of zeros on my score sheet. Is they is that they can't cut block or they won't cut block either one. And a player like Moses, certainly with the Ravens tackle situation, I think they ought to be thinking about not going for any cut blocks at this point from from tax. Yeah, you know, I, I think to me, Moses' performance was decent enough. And it's, you know, again, kind of something to, to develop and, and keep an eye on and, and see how these guys play together, see what they utilize. You know, you, you also wonder with, you know, some of the new faces and the combinations here, how much that had to do with kind of the, the walkback scheme that the Ravens had. And so, you know, what is on film that Greg Roman and uh, the offensive line coach, uh, Sandro uh, yeah. are looking at and, and how are they going to try and influence the scheme based on what they've seen be successful from these guys, because maybe, maybe they had to, there's a little bit of a learning curve in that regard. We'll start to see things open up a little bit on the other side because of that. Yeah. I hope that would not apply to a real veteran like Morgan Moses, but you never know. It's a scheme change. And so, you know, you could always have that. I I would associate that more with a player like Linderbaum, uh, particularly one who's changing level. And so a lot of the things that he had to do to get by with his physical deficiencies He's already got baked into his game, and now he has to kind of relearn a lot of the uh, maybe more important fundamentals for the NFL level, uh, and then also come up with new tricks <laughs> to, to, to beat these opponents at this level. General offensive line stuff, the no penalties, no quarterback hits, only one sack. It was a good day from that perspective. The Jets really helped with their four-man rush 28 out of 32 times. Uh, they played it real careful with Ricard into block on a number of plays. We talked in the first part about a number of jumbo formations and a lack of 11 personnel. The Ravens played uh, only four snaps of 11 personnel, which is just uh, absurd for an NFL game, but uh, something that I think 
probably helped with the pass blocking to a degree that they had some bigger, heavier guys on the field to to do with that. But they did not use their running backs to block much. Only a couple uh, times that uh, um, that Drake was kept into block. So. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether or not that scheme changes, whether that was jet specific, whether or not that was, you know, what that looks like. It, it's so you don't want to overreact to what you see in the first game and say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they were they were doing this or they were doing that. But um, certainly something to keep an eye on. Yeah, great point. Great point. Well, let's do the thing we do normally at this point in the show, which is talk about the other skill position players, alternate guys you want to bring up and discuss. Uh, you go first. You're the guest, my friend. Yeah. So, you know. I'll, I'll leave Lamar out for the moment, but I think Devin Duvernay is the guy to you know really look at. Right, there were there were all of these questions a wide receiver over you know and, and a lot of chatter on kind of Raven social media around why didn't they sign a wide receiver? What's going on with this? What are the evaluation processes? Good lord, what are they possibly thinking? How can you ever win if you don't have another kind of optional wide receiver? Um, and Devin Duvernay really stepped up and, and answered the bell there and caught balls in traffic, caught balls deep, looked looked all the part of kind of everything that I think we were going to want to see from them. Completely agree, first of all. And Duvernay did so much to earn Lamar's trust in this game, which I think is probably going to be the most important factor for him going forward. So he is a speed option, but we didn't really see great separation characteristics from Duvernay in this game. So he what he did is he contested the football. I have to be careful because he didn't really go up for the football very well on the right sideline versus Hall in the end zone. But he went up and he took the ball away from the from the cornerback. And that's something. Uh, you know, cornerback had his paw on the football. He, he hauled it in, took it to the ground. Good play. And that's the kind of thing that earns you a lot of trust points with Lamar. Lamar will give you another chance on a jump ball because of that play. Maybe four more chances uh, after seeing you do that. So that was, that was nice to see. Certainly, Andrews, he threw nine interceptions thrown to Andrews last year. So we know Andrews has a lot of chances uh, in terms of, uh, of of that sort of thing. The other thing Duvernay did is is on an extended play, he got open a, a, kind of a little bit against the grain, uh, moving from right to left when you normally think that the normal escape route in the pocket is going to be to the right, making space, um, you know, a, you know, as, as a crossing route, but, but crossing from right to left uh, in that end zone is the unusual place that Lamar often likes to, to throw the ball, breaking the normal rules of, of the pocket had he left the pocket. Of course, he didn't. He just moved up. He was very available on that play, and, and it's good that they're on the same page. We always refer to the hive mind of, of Andrews uh, with him on that, but I thought really nice for DuVernay to put in two catches like that um, that, that should earn him some connection points with Lamar. Yeah, th- to me, the thing that you said, is the big one though, which is the trust factor with Lamar. And if, if Lamar can learn to trust DuVernay both on kind of some of those deep on the deep shots, like the, the first touchdown pass or in kind of situations where it is that high binder against the grain or whatever you want to call it in those situations, um, it answers a huge question for this Ravens offense. And there, there will be times where some of these wide receivers are going to get hurt. You know, someone is going to, you know, someone's going to be asked to play up a level and having built in that trust already in the first place, I think is going to, it, it's felt like that has been missing at times from this offense. All right. My turn to pick a player, right? Let's yep. talk about, let's talk a little bit about likely. Um, I think that uh, an unfortunate game after a big preseason um, conditions were not ideal, but I also think he probably should have caught at least one of those four balls that were thrown his way. Went twelve for twelve during the during the preseason. 
0 for 4, of course, in this first game. And I guess I would say the proximity of those footballs was such that he's got to get one at least of them. And it would have been great if he could have gotten two. But one was down around knee level, another was slightly behind him, another one was slightly high. And the combination of conditions and hit maybe some of it was just a willingness to go down for the football under the conditions was was a, uh, a, a you know perhaps a factor on them. Yeah, and you know, some I, I wonder whether or not Lamar's timing with Likely in terms of what they're seeing and kind of getting into that rhythm together, um, you know, because the throws were like you said not not terrible but slightly off, and if you can tighten that up by slowing down a little bit, speeding up a little bit, whatever that looks like, you know, understanding what kind of some of these concepts are and what Lamar is looking for in that, and maybe that tightens it up. I think that can clean clean up these options for Likely, but you know, the Ravens. Even with the early drops and even with some of the questions that, you know, you might have about kind of what the performance looked like, the hold, et cetera, the Ravens did not lean away from using likely, which means that it tells me that they trust him. They want to get him those development opportunities. They want to kind of force his way through and they want they want him to kind of get these kinks out and to use him as a big part of this team and this offense at some point in the year. Yeah, great point. I mean, he played almost half the snaps. He played 25 snaps in this game, and they, they certainly need him out there. They used a lot of a lot of big bodies in this game was was part of it. But you know, if I'm Greg Roman for this next game, one of the things I want to do, along with being ready to deal with whatever Miami brings in terms of pressure looks, is to make sure that I that I have some of the scripted plays going to likely early on because I want to try and rebuild that as quickly as possible, given what it looked like at times in the preseason. Admittedly, with Huntley and uh, with Huntley, really. Well, and, and I mentioned this, you know, on part one of the podcast, but I think that a lot of the first quarter was scripted, and that's why likely got a lot of those looks, and they wanted to get him integrated, and they wanted to do that. So, for as long as the Ravens are willing to to be scripted early, and I think the Ravens, I, I feel like Greg Roman is a, very much a script guy for kind of a number of plays or for a set of sequence. I think that I think likely is going to get those looks and and get that interest. All right. Who's your next guy? All right, let's talk about Mark Andrews, who I thought had a, a really nice game. It was nice to see a game where you had a big passing offense where Andrews not wasn't central, but wasn't the main guy that Lamar was constantly looking to. There were moments where he did come back to him. The Ravens used him effectively. Um, as a, We talked about this in part one as well as a decoy on um, the Duvernay play. And mm-hmm. so that's a nice evolution for this offense to not be Lamar, Mark Andrews, and a whole bunch of other guys out on the field together. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think you, you explained it really well. I'll try to do it in more words because, <laughs> because that's the way it always seems to be for me. And sorry about that. But with uh, with Andrews, one of the things I've been talking to the PFF guys about this offseason is if they could d- develop a metric for the value of a marginal target. Because I felt like both Brown and Andrews last year suffered from having from being targeted too often and if you look at Nick Boyle 2019 limited target guy but it was 133 quarterback rating when they threw to him okay Mark Andrews is the most common target guy and is and is the, the passer rating throwing to him is only 92 93 last year because of the nine picks that Lamar threw so he's being over targeted what was nice about this game was that Sauce Gardner was put on Andrews at some point all right. And they and so they're putting their best cover guy and they're saying, well, you're not going to put wide receivers in the game. We're going to put Sauce Gardner on your tight end. And, uh, you know, they they committed to that. And that did create opportunities 
for, certainly for Duvernay. Um, I thought uh, perhaps for Demarcus Robinson on the pass interference play, I don't really, I don't know who was back on that side. I don't think it was Gardner. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it definitely opens up other things if Andrews is drawing all the good coverage, all the attention, uh, it's actually a good thing for your offense. It's, it's not a problem. It makes it easier to get the other mismatches by having Andrews be that guy. So in more words, that's how I would say it. Well, and Lamar's got to be able to, and this is, this is what can potentially take the offense to a, an exceptionally high level in some of those situations is when you aren't completely in empty where you're able, it's a little bit easier to see kind of the chessboard and, and those matchups is to identify when Andrews is getting those looks and being able to exploit them. And so if this is the early results of us seeing that, right, like using the corner on Andrews and then like going to Bateman because you know you're going to have safeties on him or going after DuVernay because you know the better better coverage is kind of yeah. being shaded in a different direction, that's chef's kiss, right? That That's where mm-hmm. the offense needs to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's uh, – uh, it, it would be a very good use of Andrews to basically if, – if he would get fewer targets, be more efficient on a target-by-target basis, I'd love to see that. I'm going to go forward and talk about uh, Patrick Ricard in this game. Uh, definitely a guy that, you know, it was very clear, and we talked a little bit about this during part one, is that the Ravens really would have liked to have a blocking tight end that they really trusted. They didn't. They used Ricard in line. Ricard played exceptionally well there, I thought. When he was in the backfield, he played reasonably well. When he was in motion, he played reasonably well, generally making good blocks in this game. Uh, I didn't have any notes for him really missing a big block, which is nice. Uh, and even though the Ravens run game was not particularly effective, I, I wouldn't blame Patrick Ricard. And I do think he had a significant impact on the passing game in terms of helping Morgan Moses hold up better on that right side by, by being largely a right side in line pass blocker. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see what Ricard's role evolves to how they use him and how they use him in the running game. And it is nice that he can serve as kind of like a flexible piece that they can use in some different ways and use him creatively. Um, and so it's good to see kind of those kinks worked out. I'm optimistic that we see some kind of evolution there where it's either that role is taken up by somebody else or that it's reduced in some kind of ways that, that are going to be a little bit more optimal. But it's really... It's, it's very hard to hate on a player like Patrick Ricard, who brings a lot to this team, uh, plays hard, and doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And there's nothing I would point to in his receiving game that's really helping the Ravens right now, but it's, it's still fun to see him get the football occasionally and get a four or six-yard touch or whatever it might be. Uh, I, I don't really think that does that much for changing the way defense is played against the Baltimore Ravens. So that's one thing where, I you know, it's nice if you can actually use it to produce first downs on a drive like they could at Tennessee in the playoff game. If you can't do that, then and it's just a change of pace, I don't think you're really tricking the opponent enough unless you're generating real EPA per play, expected points added per play on, on uh, from the throws you're making to them. So anyway, yeah, uh, you you are up next. I'll take the Marcus Robinson who. Didn't have a huge role in this game, but I think it's pretty clear that the Ravens want to use him in some circumstances to be the guy that's going to take the top off of opposing defenses. And so, you know, we saw him draw the one PI. It took, it was much fast. That's the fastest I can remember a Ravens Lamar Jackson team getting a PI in the season. I think we went six or seven games last year before the Ravens drew one. Um, so it's good to see that he's physical in that regard. Um, 
he had a couple catches underneath to go with that. I think that he's he's got a role on this team and is a nice veteran presence to kind of be a stabilizing factor on the back end of that passing game. Okay. I, I want to address the point you just made about you know having to get less PIs. When, the, when other teams play zone defense against you and they want eyes in the backfield against Lamar Jackson a lot of the time, you get less of that because man coverage and chase coverage is what creates uh, DPIs a lot of the time. So you, you rarely get it from a safety coming over and just knocking the hell out of somebody. It does happen, but but it's it's fairly rare. Um, it's more often the corner who's trailing a lot and he starts to get grabby while the while the ball's in the air and and uh, and then the flag gets thrown. But uh, but I agree with you. I think Demarcus Robbins, first of all, had a much bigger role on this team than either Prochet or Wallace. So I kind of thought that was going to happen after the third preseason game with the two incredibly juicy top of the stem moves that he that he put on those you know grocery bagging Washington Commanders cornerbacks but still you know it, it, they are guys who probably belong on an NFL practice squad somewhere <laughs> and, and uh, uh, or could possibly be on an NFL how can I say that in the most <laughs> condescending way um, but, but anyway Demarcus Robinson put an unbelievable veteran move twice on those guys and it was two different moves out and go sluggo uh to, to make those guys miss uh i think we we uh you know are going to get a good amount of that i think we've seen in utilization already that demarcus robinson is going to be the take the top off guy and he is a guy they may use in some other ways to make people make mistakes obviously if your only move is is post or corner you know from the top of the route or post corner fly whatever you want to talk to call it being you don't, you don't, your, your, your moves are not as likely to affect the, the defensive back. You need to have something else. So I think we're going to see Demarcus Robinson either, you know, on, a, on some deep crosses, maybe on some comeback routes on the outside uh, to give him a little more versatility of what he can run. Yeah, it, it, it'll, he'll be, a, you know, an interesting evolution to see kind of what the Prochet Wallace first Robinson pieces and, and, and ultimately where, where that ends up kind of shaking out because we didn't, see much from Brochet and Wallace because yeah. so it's hard to evaluate that, but uh, you know, not disappointed in Robinson's play at all. 11 total snaps between Brochet and Wallace. Are you concerned at all about that given what was going on? I, I don't know what to make of any of that. You know, Wallace, not as much, right? Because he's coming off the injury and Brochet mm-hmm. was as well, but it's been a while since he's been back. Um, but what did James Brochet ever do to not get opportunities? Like yes. to just not get opportunities, right? Like, mm-hmm. like when, in all situations where there isn't a meaningful game on the line, he's been given opportunities and he's come through. Um, and the Ravens just seem to refuse to give him any kind of meaningful opportunities during meaningful NFL games. And so, you know, coaches are coaches for a reason. Uh, but at some point, you know, it makes you worry that he's going to be a guy that, that, you know, ends up leaving the Ravens and goes somewhere and actually gets an opportunity and does something. And that would be that'd be pretty disappointing. Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of sad. It could, it could be a Kamar Aiken player who uh, you know was was productive for one year with with the Ravens, and and that could happen. You don't want him to be productive because there are a ton of injuries. So it's it it is kind of nice if on your receiving core, if James Prochet is only getting ten plays a game, that probably means your top receivers are producing because Prochet's done some things when given the opportunity. So if Devin Duvernay all of a sudden plays like Devin Duvernay of two years ago where where he doesn't isn't a particularly good route runner and he and he can't he doesn't have trust points with Lamar or he's lost what he has in the bank currently uh you know then Prochet's going to get an opportunity so I, I think if if Prochet's getting 10 snaps a game it means 
A, the Ravens are doing exactly what they want to the other teams in terms of playing heavy tight end packages and beating the crap out of other teams, getting leads, not ever having to pass to catch up. You don't need James Prochet in a lot of those situations. And, and the other thing is the top receivers, whether they're Bateman or Duvernay or Robinson, are probably staying healthy. And they're playing effectively enough to, that the Ravens say, we don't really need to make changes. This, is, this pass offense is working for us. Yep, I, I will. I will absolutely live with that as an outcome. Yeah, there you go. Uh, your turn again. Uh, let's talk about Kenyon Drake. Um, you know, and the and the product game in general. You know, there were moments where Drake looked good. I thought he looked pretty hesitant overall. I thought like he looked like he was still learning the playbook. There was one play to the edge where I thought he could have gotten to the edge and picked up ten plus yards, and instead chose to try and cut inside the guy, and it didn't really make any sense to me. Um, he was going to be running into three guys, but it certainly seemed like he wasn't taking the opportunity in, in the right moment. I think it was late in the third quarter, maybe in the fourth quarter when that happened. Um, but overall, uh, you know, solid player, but again, just not getting any wow factor out of the running back position right now, um, you know, between Mike Davis and Kenyon Drake. And it's not Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray, but it's not J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards right now. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, I agree. And, and so Drake has a little more speed. Uh, I don't think he really threatens the outside the same way. Uh, and I, I probably don't know enough yet. Uh, for certain, I don't know enough yet because we didn't see any of Drake in the preseason to, uh, uh, to know if he's uh, able to run the read option. And, and most importantly, obviously, run the read option with Lamar. So uh, we'll, we'll, it'll be a, a work in progress so far. Um, uh, you know, he had a couple good runs in, in that second half. So uh, I think we just have to say we'll wait and see on that one. Uh, I didn't. I, you know, Davis fumbled in the game, and he switched hands on the football on the play, which is the right thing to do. He went to the went to the proper outside arm with the football, and that's why he does that mid run. It looks weird, but he's doing it mid run to keep that that football towards the sideline. Um, but then he, he on that same play, it was after the ball presumably had been uh, tucked high and tight. Uh, he had the ball punched loose at the end of the play, and that was it was bad to see. And it's the kind of thing that, given his other limitations as a runner, given his very limited yards per touch career, uh, that could really hurt him with Harbaugh. And you know, the only excuse here being is that there were a lot of fumbles and a lot of punch outs all, mm-hmm. all across the board in this game. A lot of drops um, in situations that shouldn't have been. And so maybe it was just wet. Maybe it's the start of the year. Maybe those kind of things happen. But there were. Both sides of the ball, a lot of dry, I mean, even the uh, the Michael Carter like touchdown drop mm-hmm. in front of Patrick Queen was was maybe the most egregious miss of the entire game. Um, advantage Ravens, but uh, you know, at the at the end of the day, you're right. Mike Davis has got to carve his rollout in it, and if he doesn't, then when somebody else comes back, he's going to be the first guy off the team. Right. I I I I, I was amazed that he was not cut. I was just amazed. I mean, there's nobody is going to claim, first of all, nobody can claim Mike Davis because he's a veteran. So if you have an agreement with him, you just bring him back. I, I, I just, I cannot fathom why he was not cut to put, say, uh, Travis Jones on IR or even to get another player on IR that you think you could bring back in a while. A player like maybe Seymour even would have been a possibility. But they had, they had people down the roster who they could have gotten one additional player on uh Maybe Dalen Hayes would have even been a guy that they would have been willing to 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 stick on IR. I know they have Hayes now for the uh, for next year. Now that he reverted back to to 
to IR, but uh, you know maybe he could have been a guy that they thought would would come back. But for whatever reason, Mike Davis is one of the guys that they that they uh, decided. Oh no, we might lose him. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, I, I basically would have said if there's any position you can kind of replace easily it's it's running back in terms of stylistic fits i don't think there's anything he really brought special in terms of being either a power runner or a speed back or a great pass blocker or any of that that he that he's at a high enough level that you can't say you know what i will discard here and redraw from the deck and pick a guy who's in a zero or one where i have a lot of option value sorry r or one where i have a lot of option value left on that player and, uh, and and I might have a real positive for the future, not just for now. And if you don't trust him at the mesh point, which it was obvious that the Ravens don't, um, yeah. like like you know, and maybe and that was the issue with Tyson, right? Like the Ravens didn't yep. trust that he was going to hold onto the ball. They didn't trust his ability to kind of like pick those different parts up. Like, why are they carrying these guys on the roster? Like like to me, you know, and, and even in Mike Davis's case, it's like you know. How, I can't remember his number of carries and touches or snaps, but it just wasn't very many. And it's just like, what is, other than being like that extra guy, like you said, what's the value in that? And then why can't, if that's what it is, why can't that be a guy like Nate McCrary who at moments flashes? And if you're not going to give him match point touches anyway, you know, what, what's what's the cause there? Right. Okay, great point. Drake did start the game, so we didn't see him in the preseason, but 33 to 7 in terms of snaps, Drake to Davis. Davis carried the ball twice for 11 yards. He didn't catch a pass. So there, you know, there it, it really wasn't it really wasn't anything to look at. They, I mean, his his the major part of the major play he had among seven snaps is that 10-yard run with a fumble at the end and that's obviously not what you want as your only film rep. I would love to to you know, whatever it would cost to like get an hour with Greg Roman and Eric DeCosta to just like talk <laughs> through running back decisions of the last couple of years post injuries for them. And like, what, like, like what, like, you know, what, what is going on with your decision-making process here? Because it just, it seems really foreign, both in terms of roster structure, which, you know, the part that you're talking about, but then on-field performance piece, right? Like with Devontae Freeman and Latavius Murray, who just seemed slow last year, with Kenyon Drake, who at times did not seem like he knew what he was doing this year. How how do you come to that decision of, we carried this guy the entire preseason, and now we're just going to give him seven snaps in week one? Yeah, it, it's, it was a little strange. But, I mean, they, they they had some process of elimination cuts that happened. And, obviously, the the first guy, I'm trying to remember even the name of the first guy who was there, uh, Clement, uh, oh, Corey Clement. Clement. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he got cut right away. And obviously something wasn't working out in practice because we didn't see enough in the game to know. Uh, Nate McCrary, I think, ended up losing his spot this year again for inability to handle the mesh point. And, and some of that would have shown up in practice, but the fumble by Anthony Brown was a pull from the mesh point that that didn't work out. So uh, I just I think, you know, one of the things you got to look for is that Harbaugh has a very low tolerance for fumbles. You put the ball on the ground, you're not going to be in there. And he's, he, he's probably said that in different ways 10 times over the years in press conferences and it's one of the things where there's no doubt about it he's 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 telling you the truth when he says it most of the stuff with injuries it's a first platform for negotiation oh well, he'll be back in two weeks nothing serious you know okay he'll be back in the next day yes in two plus weeks oh well we have new information he had a setback yes uh anyway i i and i don't blame harbaugh by the way for any of that i you know it's it's natural to want to protect that information very tightly and not answer such sure. questions so uh 
I, I want to bring up one more guy. I don't know if, uh, if you have guys after this, but but we, we'd be remiss not to talk about Bateman a little bit in this game. And and uh, they had him deep a couple times. Uh, you know, once he didn't really have great separation. Uh, on and that was on the first one that got thrown a little wide, but Lamar uh, trying to put it out, put it out there, let him run onto it. The second time when he had the incredible separation, boy, was it nice that Lamar did not overthrow that ball. And you say it might have been hard to do it because it was a long bomb and whatnot. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, because the trajectory on the football had to change, there's a different element of timing. It's not just throwing it up to a wide open area because you you just can't throw the ball that far to to, to a wide open area. So there's a it, it was just very nice that that ball was on target and Bateman was able to adjust to it quickly. Didn't really sacrifice any of his catch radius uh, to do it and just waltzed into the end zone. Yeah, I, what I think will be interesting is to see what the all twenty two of Bateman looks like at the top of some of those other routes that we didn't yeah. see on the broadcast on non throws and how that's ultimately going to influence what opposing offensive co- or defensive coordinators are going to do against the Ravens. You know, the, you, you hear a lot about how Mahomes, you know, when blitz or in the single high is really able to take advantage of that in Arizona because the injuries kind of had to revert to that regardless in this past game. And that's, that, that's part of why Mahomes rolled. Um, what are teams going to do if Lamar keeps dropping dimes over the top to guys like Bateman and DuVernay? And if Bateman is, you know, getting regularly open at the top of those, both on film for defensive coordinators, but also on film for Lamar, it's going to mm-hmm. like the, the, they'll turn the spigot on, right? Like if he knows that, that Bateman is regularly winning those options and like what that looks like and where those opportunities are, um, the way it looks like that they're connecting deep and the way he wants to go deep and the way Lamar always has looked down the field exceptionally well. It's something that he's not gotten enough credit for in his career. Um, it's a, it, it could be, you know, a couple big catches in this game, but it could be re- it could get really exciting down the road. It, it, it certainly could. And, and you know what's interesting about this game is the move of Sauce Gardner to move to Andrews off of Bateman, slap in the face to Bateman. I mean, Bateman, just so obviously this team's number one receiver. Um, but, you know, it, the attention for Andrews can come in two forms. One is the safety always rolling to, to Andrews and trying to bracket him. Number two is you put your best cover guys on Andrews, whatever that means. Maybe the other team has a Kyle Hamilton type player, a bigger coverage guy they love to match up against tight ends. And then then you kind of got maybe a low cost specialist. But if But other times you have... A slot receiver who may not be built to cover Mark Andrews, or you you have to do it with a linebacker, and you know that's not enough, so you really need safety help over the top for him. I mean, just it, it forces you to change your your the the way that you cover that player, and it also limits what you can do in terms of zone and man concepts. You don't your, your whole playbook of of coverages is no longer open to you if you have to pay all this attention to one particular tight end. So I love the fact that that uh, you know what we talked about earlier in terms of of how Andrews can affect. Um, the quality of opportunities that other receivers are getting uh, is, is a really exciting component of this offense. And, and I've always thought that you could be effective, that the, the Ravens offense could be effective with two really high quality receivers like mm-hmm. this. That, that, that is, that it, with Lamar Jackson, that's enough. Um, I think in other offenses with other quarterbacks, you're going to need a third option to be able to attack that. Lamar gives you that dimension that allows you to do it. And so we see performances. And, and again, Andrews had a very quiet performance kind of from a box score, score perspective. But I, if we can see tandem performances between 
Bateman, Andrews, and Duvernay like this, then and, and the Ravens do decide to cut it loose, or Lamar decides to cut it loose, um, and really, really have trust in all of them, um, look out. Yeah. All right, outstanding. Any other skill position player you want to hit on while we're here? Nope. I think I think we got them all. I mean, Justice Hill had a really nice like he took he had a, a couple of nice plays where one where he took a really nice hit and almost got up from that. So. And I thought he looked, he actually looked sharper than he got touches for. So, um, you know, a shout out to a guy that I personally have not been very high on in the last few years. Yeah, well, uh, me either. And it's hard to be high on a guy who's not on the field. But, uh, but you know, he's, he is a speed option for the Ravens. Uh, I, I, I want to see if he gets more playing time out of this. I, I would love to see that get utilized. And, and frankly, if Davis is either going to have a greatly reduced role as he did in this game, uh, or he's not around, which is a significant possibility at some point this season when a when running back returns, Hill is probably going to have to take more of a load. Even, even when uh, J.K. Dobbins comes back, I think the likelihood is Davis is the guy who's gone, and J.K. Dobbins is probably going to get uh, fewer snaps per game than we're used to, and it's still going to leave an opportunity there for Hill that he hasn't had in, in a lot of past years when healthy um, to, to get more than you know, four snaps and one to two touches per game. Yeah, to- I totally agree with that. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that piece develops. But, you know, as long as the Ravens keep activating 8 million inside linebackers, they'll all split. <laughs> Justice Hill will be just fine in terms of having a role. Six inside linebackers activated for that game. Unbelievable. And uh, uh, <laughs> it's just one of those weird things that uh, you, you, you shake your head. I swore uh, to game before the game that they were all the inside linebackers and I, I was I, I was flat out stunned when they did I just there aren't even enough special team roles for all this anyway yeah <laughs> wrong, well, wrong podcast you're, topic. <laughs> you're, you're right on the money uh let's talk about MVPs in this game do you have a 3-2-1 list yeah I do okay so go ahead you're number three guy yeah so my uh, my number three guys are Rashad Bateman okay also, my number three guy, we just talked about him, so I don't think it's, it's really necessary, but I, I, I need to understand exactly how, how his move went to get that kind of separation because they had seven trying to cover three, and it shouldn't have been that easy for him to get behind the defense. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Who's your number two guy? Number two guy is Devin DuVernay. Um, just, you know, awesome to see two touchdowns from him. Awesome to see him step up, catch the ball deep down the field, just do some things that we have heard about him that, uh, you know, or was expected as he was coming in. You know, the one other play that we didn't talk about was the one, uh, one of the design quarterback runs was actually on a Bateman sweep out of empty. Um, and that was the fake. So there wasn't even mm-hmm. a running back on the field. And so Duvernay does add that kind of value as kind of ability to get to the edge. I think he's not terribly good at reading leverage and doing that, but, it, but certainly, if he's starting to be more effective in other ways, teams are going to have to respect that. And that's, that's really nice to see. Uh, Love his game for all the, all the points we talked that we talked about earlier in terms of trust factors. I think he's actually going to lose some of those reps as a jet motion guy. Uh, It's not like they won't have some, they had him for Hollywood. We had a question come up from the mailbag. And I think there's only one question in the mailbag on the offensive side. Uh, We didn't get to questions on the defense. I feel really bad about that. But we had such a long show discussing back and forth a bunch of technical issues, uh, trying to put it together that, that we didn't get time to get to questions. But Mignon Hunter asks, did Devin DuVernay take all of Hollywood's routes in the game? 
and Bateman is running routes different than what Hollywood ran last year. Coach said he ran the same routes Hollywood ran, at least on the second TD, or did DD just take the Hollywood routes some of the time? There's a lot to unpack there. In, in that uh, in that question, but I think some of the thing has to do with Hollywood being really a Z receiver a lot of last years, oftentimes a motion guy. Z receiver is the flanker, plays on the strong side. Generally speaking, you have a tight end who's in line. That guy is tethered to the line of scrimmage. So you have seven guys who have to be on the line of scrimmage and the two outside guys uh, have to cover up. Your two eligible receivers on one on each side have to cover up your linemen who have the ineligible numbers. Now on the left side, um, that's the, generally speaking the X receiver on a right-handed team. And that guy's tethered to the line of scrimmage. He's typically a big physical receiver and get off press coverage. It's Bateman for the Ravens now. It used to be Miles Boykin. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, but it was never Hollywood. And Hollywood is a guy who lined up on the right side as a Z receiver. It allows him all sorts of options in terms of motion because he lines up off the line of scrimmage. He can we saw orbit motion. We saw jet motion. We saw just motion along the line of scrimmage to try and get a freer release, although the Ravens don't usually use their motion on that. Um, but he, he, it leaves him options. also leaves him a yard off the line of scrimmage for, for not necessarily being easy to press at the line. You can try it, but with a guy with, with Brown's quickness and, and a, lot, a yard off the line of scrimmage, it's a lot more risky a proposition. Well, we saw Bateman, I mentioned it in part one um, when we were talking about Lamar under center a little bit, be a motion guy on mm-hmm. a boot action where he cuts under the play and kind of behind the line of scrimmage and then is kind of that flat read for Lamar. So we, so that's kind of one of the Hollywood-type roles that we had, we had seen. The slant that you get from Bateman that he dropped that would have been a first down is very much not at all what you would have seen from Hollywood. But then the touchdown for Bateman was very classic you know, Hollywood Brown type route, at least generally in concept scheme. So, you know, I, what, what that tells you about a guy like Rashad Bateman is that he's going to allow you to be flexible and do some different things. And maybe that's why, you know, I, I, I don't recall as many of kind of Duvernay running up the sideline on a go route, like the first touchdown. Um, mm-hmm. And But Duvernay was also just so limited in how the Ravens have used him over the last couple of years that it's, it's also harder to say kind of whether or not that's the same or taking different routes or, or how some of those pieces fit in. So it's certainly worth something to keep an eye on, but it seems like Bateman is more diverse in what he gives you than Hollywood was. Um, and that a little bit of everybody's going to fill those in because if Demarcus Robinson is going to be your deep guy in some of those instances, Great then point. Bateman can become the X. You know, the, it gives you some flexibility. That's not a bad thing for the Ravens. No, not, not at all. And and I think the, the thing, the, the most important thing among others that you said there is the, the, the great point you had there, but also that, that Bateman's really an X receiver and, and, and Hollywood isn't. So Bateman is always going to ha- be a more, a more technical, more physical off the line receiver, not as fast, certainly as Hollywood. Duvernay is the fastest guy probably on the Ravens receiving core right now. Not 100% sure that's true with Demarcus Robinson here, but uh, maybe in terms of effective speed, Demarcus might be faster. But in terms of you know straight line speed, I think Duvernay is still probably the guy. Uh, but anyway, I, I uh, uh, you know, I, I, I they, if if you're going to say who really ran the Hollywood routes, I'm not sure that there was anybody who really ran ran all the Hollywood routes in this last game, and uh, I don't think Lamar puts up that ball in the corner of the end zone if it's Hollywood with that kind of tight coverage on him. I I think he you know, Hollywood's a smaller guy. I don't think he does it. I yeah I I totally agree with that. All right. 
All right, I think we're through the mailbag. I'm assuming we got the same number one guy. So you have Tyler Linderbaum as your number yeah, one MVP. I, yes. I, you know, I actually, I was going to go with Zeitler, but I, I guess we'll go with Lamar Jackson. Good call. Good call. And I, I really had to think about putting Zeitler in there somewhere because he's been so efficient. But uh, but we covered him pretty well, I think, in the thing. And Lamar, we certainly covered enough in the show not to not to go back to him. It's a good game when Lamar Jackson is just clearly your MVP. He's doing Lamar Jackson things. He's a force multiplier player. So when he does a lot, when he does things right, he could do five things right in the same game. Whereas if it's a receiver, it's really hard. It's why receivers never win the MVP in a Super Bowl. Is it's hard for them to do enough things to 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 be the guy. Yeah, and it, it's good to see Lamar Jackson get back to form. It's good to see some of those throws being on on point. Um, I'm I'm super excited for what we're going to see from him for the rest of this year. And I, I think. If this game and depth of target and accuracy are any indication of what we're going to get from Lamar Jackson through the balance of this season, then he is going to clearly be one of the top three MVP candidates in the league. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. He he, uh, he uh, had one of the highest PFF ratings I saw that, that which is is always surprising to me because I don't think PFF captures what Lamar is doing very often. They, they, Eric Eager been very open about saying that, you know, it's just realize that Lamar is great and also realize that our system isn't necessarily capturing, but also realize that you can learn about the game of football from the fact that our system is not capturing it. And, and I think that's truer words never spoken. Uh, well, you know, there's a much more traditional game from Lamar as a passing quarterback because you didn't see any of the explosive running plays. Obviously, his ability to, and we talked about this, his ability to keep defenses up and defend him like he's a runner allow mm-hmm. to uh, allow extra value that can't be captured on a, in a system like PFF. But from a pure performance perspective, when you've got throws that are that deep and that accurate, if PFF isn't giving him a good grade, you're right. Then it's just a, a bad system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. A lot of it was just based on those big time throws and, and, and whatnot. And, and I don't know what adjustments they make for weather and whatnot, but there, there were some limitations from that. And uh, anyway, just clearly an outstanding game from Jackson. Let's call it there. We've had a great discussion in uh, a, cu- a couple parts here that I think people are going to appreciate. Uh, one more time, uh, Jordan, what's your uh, Twitter? And tell us a little bit about the situation room, what you have for this week. Yeah, you guys can check us out. Um, I'm at Raven Sit Room. My co-host, Gabe Ferguson's at Gabe Fergie. We've got a podcast, The Situation Room. We're just about to put up we, our week one coverage where we kind of talk a little bit about some of the things that we're seeing overall in the game, but then try and break down some specific plays and things that we saw from those plays in particular. I'm hoping to be able to try and tie a little bit of video into um, into Twitter when we're able to do that right after the game. I was telling Ken we were, we were celebrating in Las Vegas for this big week one win, so we didn't get it out uh, as quickly in week one. But we're hoping to be quick quick out there with a the, with the podcast, kind of breaking down those plays and talking a little bit about what worked for the Ravens. Appreciate you coming on. Always a pleasure, Jordan. We had two super long shows this week. The big news for next week is we're planning to do a live stream. Uh, so we have to make sure that that uh, Josh can do this, but we're hoping some of the people, and it'll typically be the people who are still listening to the podcast at this point, who are most loyal to us, <laughs> that uh, uh, would be happy to listen to this live. Uh, we'd be recording at 11 o'clock on Monday and Tuesday nights. Uh, hopefully you get some people in there, get a little bit of chat going on. We'll answer questions and be as interactive as we can. 
Uh, probably have a, uh, a silent question system, but at least we'll be able to uh, plug in things all, all across the screen, as you've seen on some of the draft shows in the past. And people just seem to enjoy that format. If it doesn't work out, we'll go back to the regular, record them and, and, uh, and put them out there. But uh, appreciate all of you listeners and uh, really that you're uh, uh, coming back and still giving your attention. We've seen the, the listens are tremendous. Uh, and uh, we really appreciate all the new folks that you brought into the fold as well. Uh, Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.